You know, it's that, that famous on-off switch. It's tricky. Tricky sometimes. Well, we're going to start the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is an exciting book. It is probably, see, I can't do it. It's probably, <laughs> I may wander back to it in a minute. It's, it's probably one of the least studied in the Old Testament because it is not without challenges. Typically, we like to study books so we can find a chronology. You know, we, we go through it and it's, it's simple. Maybe it goes topic by topic or, or it goes through time and order. But Jeremiah doesn't do that. Jeremiah's uh, um, put together with Jeremiah's rhyme and reason. And everybody else can't always comprehend exactly why he put this chapter here or that chapter there. So the key when we study Jeremiah is to just take each chapter as it comes, break it down, talk about what God's doing in that particular section of Scripture. So as we take a look at at, uh, Jeremiah, beginning at... uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, that's usually the beginning, right? There's a couple of things that we want to grasp a hold of, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some history for you. I'm sorry if it's boring, but it'll help you kind of get a grasp of where we're at in time and what's going on. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. There's a lot of history in that one verse. A lot of history. You'll remember, if you think back, to some priests that helped David out at one time. And Saul banished those priests to Anathoth. And, and of those priests that were banished to that place, <clears throat> one of them is probably Hilkiah. Or Hilkiah came from that group that was banished off to Anathoth. Not in Jerusalem anymore, not in a place that was central to the worship of God, but nonetheless still doing their job as, as priests. And helping God's people understand what it is that, that, that God is doing at the time. Hilkiah is also important for this. At the time of Josiah, Josiah, who was a good king, who's one of the kings, who is the first king that Jeremiah prophesies, begins to prophesy in. During Josiah's reign, a guy named Hilkiah f- discovers the law. So can you imagine priests functioning as priests but having no Bible? Not using the Word. Not studying the Word. Not reading the Word. Just doing the traditions as they've always done them. And all of a sudden this fella who turns out to be Jeremiah's papa finds a scroll. And Josiah reads that scroll and it, and it prompts him to start a revival Throughout the land. Josiah is one of those guys that went through doing the things that, that God had called him to do. Unfortunately, he wasn't always obedient or he would have had a longer reign. But he was a good king. And that, again, ties back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah's dad is the one who, who found that scroll and who led them to that place. So we see that here in the, in the first verse as we take a look at what's going on. And then he says in verse 2, To whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. So he lays out his whole history 
the history and the kings that will be in charge when Jeremiah is bringing the prophecies that he brings. And if you, being a student of the Bible, are trying to reconcile some of these names with Josiah's kids, you won't be able to do it. Unless you have an understanding of the history and what, what was going on at that time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read with you just a brief summary of the history, what those kings were doing, who was in charge, when, what led to what, just so you have kind of a background of what's going on at the time of Jeremiah. And it all begins with Josiah. Okay, the first king, Josiah, reigned from about 639 to 609 for 30 years. Prior to him was Hezekiah. Now, as we studied Isaiah, the king we were primarily concerned with from Isaiah's prophecies was Hezekiah. Now we come to Jeremiah. We're with the next king. We've moved on to Josiah. Prior to him was Hezekiah, then Manasseh, who's reputed to have sawn Isaiah in half. When Josiah becomes king, his reign was positive. After he reigned about 10 years, Jeremiah is called. He was about 20 at that time. Josiah took the throne when he was 8 years old. And he reigned for 30 years. Important. Up until Josiah's reign, Assyria had been so strong that they had taken the northern kingdom captive. You remember in the first part of the book of Isaiah... We were talking about the kingdom of Israel was divided into two, right? Right after Solomon's reign, Solomon in fact said, you know, how do I know that a fool's not going to come after me and that everything that I put together is going to fall apart? Turns out Solomon was right. The kingdom falls apart. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Northern kingdom is called Israel. Southern kingdom is called Judah. We have the God-fearing, God-obedient people in all 12 tribes moving south. The people who wanted to rebel against the Lord moving north. Northern kingdom or the kingdom of Israel is the first one to go into captivity. Goes into captivity with Assyria. Those left behind after that captivity become Samaria at the time of Jesus. And were hated by the rest of the Jews. Half-breeds. Now, as we take a look, Jeremiah is going to be primarily concerned with the southern kingdom, Judah. We, the southern kingdom, those who were at least more concerned with following the Lord. But as, even as we see when we consider the reign of Josiah, remember, they didn't even have a Bible. The priests didn't even have a Bible. The king, you remember, the king, according to the book of Deuteronomy, was to make a copy, his own copy, of the Old Testament... At his reign, during his reign, so that he would understand the things that God required. So it's not hard to understand how they didn't obey or follow God's teaching because somewhere along the line, through some bad kings, they just forgot about the law. Nobody had a copy. The scroll was in the back of the synagogue somewhere, and we come to Jeremiah's father to dig that up. So as we take a look, Assyria has already, at the time of Jeremiah, taken the northern kingdom. We also see Josiah takes charge as king, and God calls him to undertake reforms. We see a reformation go through the the nation. God's also raising the strength of the Babylonians to the south. 
They are putting pressure on Assyria, giving Judah more freedom from Assyria. With problems between Assyria and Babylon, there's more opportunity for Judah to get rid of some of those Assyrian practices. It's about six years into Josiah's reign that he seeks the Lord, and his reforms begin about four years later. It also happened that the book of the law was discovered in the temple a few, a few years later, that the reforms are detailed for us in 2 Kings chapter 22. This is the time Jeremiah is called. Josiah dies in about 609 B.C. Pharaoh Necho, and we can read about this in Kings and Chronicles, <clears throat> joins Assyria as an ally, and Josiah starts to interfere. Pharaoh Necho warns him to stay out, but Josiah doesn't listen. He goes to Megiddo. Sound familiar? Megiddo, the plains of Megiddo. After Pharaoh Necho told him not to go, and God says don't go. He doesn't listen, and he goes And he dies there in that battle in Megiddo at Armageddon. We see Nineveh fall in 612 B.C. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. So Nineveh falls and we see the rise of the Babylonians. When we look at Jeremiah, what we're going to be dealing with is the Babylonian captivity. The Babylonian captivity that's coming. Jeremiah seeing it, foretelling, letting the nation know... That this is God's plan for them. <laughs> and if they would be obedient to Jeremiah, they would, it, things would go easier. The captivity is foregone. It's going to happen. If they'll listen to Jeremiah, it could be a, a good thing. It could be a, 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 a blessing. But then we come to the next king. <clears throat> Josiah was a popular king. And with his death, the people were distraught. So they take matters into their own hands. They set Jehoahaz on the throne. He's the son of Josiah, but not the oldest son. He only reigns for three months. So there's not very much about him in Scripture. He tends to have an anti-Egypt, pro-Babylonian policy. And we, we can uh, see a little bit about Jehoahaz in 2 Kings 23. After Jehoahaz, we have Jehoiakim. He reigns 11 years. It is his reign that gives Jeremiah his greatest trial and opposition. He and Jeremiah are on opposite ends of every subject that Jeremiah speaks on. Everything that Jeremiah talks about, uh, he's in opposition to him. He's a bloodthirsty tyrant and the enemy of truth. In Jehoiakim's 11-year reign, he sponsors idolatry, widespread injustice, He is the foe of God and God's word, and his revolt is unsuccessful. He leads the first siege against Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, I believe there's going to be three sieges. Jehoiakim is going to be, again, one one of the children of Josiah, but we don't want to confuse Jehoiakim with Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim dies violently in Jerusalem after his 11-year rule, just as Jeremiah predicts. The teenage king Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim uh, um, is one of the ones that Jeremiah denounces and on whom he ultimately pronounces a blood curse, that the Messiah, the messianic line, will not pass through Jehoiakim. 
<clears throat> he's a wicked monarch, a monarch in his father's rebellion that causes Nebuchadnezzar to lay siege to Jerusalem a second time. Again, all these coming up through the lineage of Josiah. <clears throat> that is when the temple is plundered and Ezekiel is taken captive. So Ezekiel and Jeremiah run at the same time in history. They're, they're together. Um, then <clears throat> he is finally released by evil Merodach, which is the son of uh, the successor of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Belshazzar later on comes in and we see the nation of Babylon conquered under Belshazzar. <laughs> Finally, you have Zedekiah. Zedekiah, after Nebuchadnezzar's second siege, uh, he takes Jehoiakim captive. He finds a son of Josiah named Mataniah. Mataniah was a full brother of Eliakim, the one whose name was changed to Jehoiakim. So you can understand where you might get confused. <clears throat> Therefore, Mataniah is the uncle of Jehoiakim, who was just deported. Nebuchadnezzar changes Mataniah's name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah is a king. He's a puppet king set up by Nebuchadnezzar. So as we look at these guys, and there's much more history even than that involved in it, but as we look at it, just give you a, a brief idea on what's going on at the time of Jeremiah. He's going to start with Josiah and a lot of promise, but none of Josiah's boys, none of his sons are going to follow in their father's footsteps. They're not going to continue the Reformation. They're not going to continue doing those things. They're going to seek to please the people. And they have, as it'll be important as we take a look at chapter 1, a fear of their face. The Bible tells us you can only be, you have to choose to be one of two things, right? A man pleaser or what? A God pleaser. Man pleaser means you're focused on the face of the people. A God pleaser means you're focused on the face of God. And in chapter 1 of Jeremiah, we see the Lord lay that out for Jeremiah's ministry. So now that we kind of have an idea, three enemies of Judah, Assyria, which is to the north, Egypt, which is to the south, Babylon, which is to the east, and three kings of note, Josiah the reformer, Jehoiakim, which is a despot, he takes them all back to where Josiah brought them from, and Zedekiah, which is the puppet. And the word of the Lord came to me saying in verse 4, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. It's a pretty awesome verse. Before you were conceived, God knew, and that word for knew is a, is a word for, for intimate knowledge of. It's the same Hebrew word used of Adam knew Eve and she conceived. God knew Jeremiah intimately. He knew him before he was ever conceived. We, we're going to see four things here that we, that we want to understand, that we want to hold on to. The first is that God is the Lord of life. And that life begins the moment God knows you. The moment that God knows you. Here he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. 
I ordained you a prophet to the nations. You see, God had a plan. God had a plan for Jeremiah from the get-go. Second thing we see, we see that the fetus is a person. And I don't care what president or Congress or anybody else says. The fetus is a person. And if we think we're different than the people at the time of Jeremiah who were sacrificing their children to the god Molech, they had to beat the drums to drown out the cries of the babies. We just found a way to do it so it's quieter. But the nation does the same thing. The god of fortune, the god of pleasure. How many children are sacrificed at that same altar in the United States? But we see here the fetus is a person. God has a plan and a call for their life. A direction for them that he wants to take them. The third thing we see is, before Jeremiah had done anything good or bad, God chose him. God chooses us first. There's no way around it. God chooses us first. How do we know God chose us? When we receive him. When we receive him. To as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. The reality is the word of God doesn't try to make a difference between human responsibility and the decision of man to receive God and God's choice. It doesn't try. It tells you the same. It tells you both. God chose you and you chose him. And when you chose him, God says, before I formed you in my mother's womb, I knew you were going to be mine. In Ephesians, he says, it's according to his foreknowledge that he predestined us. His foreknowledge of what? That God knew you would choose him. And in his foreknowledge, he predestined you. He confirmed your choice and he keeps us. We're going to see that all through scripture. When we run into trouble is when we take that concept and we take off too far in either direction. Because what you have on one hand is the Armenian argument and on the other the Calvin argument. Both are true. But logic says both can't be true. How can both possibly be true? They're opposite. Either man chose God or God chose man. Which is it? Both. Yes. Yes. The Bible very clearly teaches it. Jackie, that just doesn't make any sense. Well, praise God, because if I could figure out every mystery of God, then I'm not sure he'd be God. I'd say, oh, wow, you know, I'm a pretty smart fella. You know, I got God all figured out. And you got errors on both sides of that argument. The truth runs down the dynamic tension right down the middle. The dynamic tension that says, yes, God chose me and I received him. And both have to occur in order for someone to be saved. God chose Jeremiah. Had Jeremiah done anything good or bad? No. God's choice, the scripture lays out for us, is in himself. He knows why he chooses, who he chooses. But what the scripture always teaches, and you have to understand this, the scripture only speaks of the choosing of the elect. It never in one place states that God chose someone to go to hell. 
It doesn't say it. It's not there. Well, we can infer it if one's true than the other. No, you can't. The word of God is silent. You're silent. Where the word of God speaks, you speak. When you get in trouble is when you start speaking for the word of God and saying, well, if God said this, then this is what he meant as well. Only if it says that. Only if it says that. Always the called, the chosen, are the elect, the saved, never the other way around. So it's important to understand. We don't see the other, and we see it clearly here. God chose Jeremiah, right? Before he was in the womb formed, could he say the sinner's prayer? Could he receive God? Did he have will at that point? Yet God says, hey, before I formed you, not only did I call you, I got a plan for you. I ordained you. Do you understand what that means? I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I sent you as a prophet to the nations before you were born. The important thing in that is Jeremiah couldn't screw it up. Because the choice was all in God, right? God was going to see it done. And we, I think, in a lot of ways have to understand that in our relationship with God too. We're not going to be able to foul up what God, wants, what God has called us to do in our lives. We just present ourselves to him. He will accomplish his will. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. And it will be accomplished exactly as he intends it to be done. We're going to see that the power of God. Finally, we see... <clears throat> The calling, I ordained you a prophet to the nation. Every Christian has a calling, a plan. How do we know? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For what purpose? For good works that he has what? Ordained for us to walk in. God has that same plan for you and I. Then I said, here's Jeremiah's response. God, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Oh, Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Jeremiah reminds me of Moses. Remember Moses when God called him? Moses like, ah, you know, I have this stuttering issue. Lord, I, I don't think you got the right man. I'm kind of enjoying being on the backside of the desert. Jer- Jeremiah has the same thing. First he says, I cannot speak. In Hebrew, literally, I'm not eloquent. I'm not eloquent. I, I don't know how to put my words together right. And then he's young. This doesn't mean he's a child. It just means he's young and he's afraid people are going to despise his youth. What is it that Paul told Timothy about his youth? Let no one despise your youth. Why? Because the call of God is on you. It doesn't matter how old you are. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. We see God moving in the life of the young And in the elderly. And God's going to give his response. Listen to God's response. Do not say I am a youth. For you shall go to all to whom I send you. God wants him to know. Listen. Don't come up with excuses about why you can't do something. Why? Because God equips the called. God never calls you to fail. He calls you and he equips you to be successful at the call that he gives. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. In a little while, we're going to see Jeremiah say, I'm not going to speak no more. But it doesn't work out so well for him. 
Look at verse 8. It's important. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Jeremiah is going to be, if not the most hated, one of the most hated prophets in the history of Israel. Nobody's going to like him. When people see Jeremiah come, they turn and walk the other way. When he starts to talk, they all want to hold their hands over their ears. Nobody wants to listen to him. He's called the weeping prophet for a reason. He's got a message of judgment that there's nothing anyone can do to escape. Judgment is coming, and nobody wants to hear it. But God tells them, don't be afraid of their faces. I'm with you. I'll deliver you. Right out the gate at the beginning, God says, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. You're going to face trials and persecutions. And ultimately, he is going to face trial and persecutions. It's not going to be easy for him. But then look what the Lord does in verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. Now, doesn't that sound exactly like the call of Isaiah? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And and Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He realized I'm a sinner. I can't go. And the Lord does what? Has an angel take a coal from the altar and touch it to his lips and says, Your sins are purged. Here we have Jeremiah saying, Oh, God, I'm too young, and I can't speak very well. You don't really want to send me. But isn't that exactly who God sends? Is Jeremiah going to trust in his own abilities, in his own eloquence, in his own training? Or is he going to have to rely on the power of the Spirit to do what God's called him to do? To those who will give God glory for what they do, that's the ones God calls. And he says, the Lord touched him. Listen, touched his mouth and said, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. It's my words. I put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, pull down, to destroy, throw down, to build, and to plant. Still the work God does in our lives today. We still see the Lord doing those things in our lives. When I first come to the Lord, he's got to root out and pull down the strongholds in my life, the junk, the garbage. He's got to root that stuff out. But not only does he root it out, it needs to be destroyed, demolished, obliterated. Jesus said, if your right hand caused you to sin, what? He didn't say keep it in your pocket and play with it later. He didn't say bring it out every once in a while and show your friends. Right hand caused you to sin, cut it off. If your right foot caused you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Is that because he wants us to walk around, you know, maiming ourselves? He's telling us, you've got to destroy sin in your life. Don't leave it hanging around. Don't play with it. So they're to root out and to pull down and to destroy, wipe out, obliterate these things. And then what do you do when that's done? Build up and plant. Build up. Exhort. Exhort one another daily while it is today. God wants us to be in the business of building up and planting. But you cannot plant where the ground's not prepared, right? 
Like, I know anything about what I'm talking about. I have, I'll Ron stand up and tell you guys about where you can plant and where you can't. But <clears throat> I know this much. They're, they're no, not chopping. What are they doing? Thrashing. They're thrashing corn at my house, and they're spilling it all over the place. So I was thinking, I'll go grab some of that corn, and I'll throw it in my backyard, and then I'll have corn next year. But I have to prepare the ground. I have to prepare the soil to receive it. It can't have all that other garbage that I got in it that's a part of it. It has to be prepared. It has to be taken care of. It has to be watched over. It has to be watered. There's a lot of things that have to take place. This is what Jeremiah's mission is, to do these things. And he's given power over, is it just Israel? No, because what are we going to hear from Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31? The new covenant, right? Jesus Christ would say, this is the new covenant of my blood. What's the new covenant? That God will write his laws where? On our hearts. That he's going to be inside us. Jeremiah brings that message to the nations, to the kingdoms. Plus, he is going to bring judgment upon every nation we've talked about. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Judah. I mean, God's got something to say to all those people. And Jeremiah, he's going to say it. Moreover... The word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? So Jeremiah responds and says, I see the branch of an almond tree. The branch of an almond tree. The almond tree is one of the trees that's going to first begin to bring forth its blossoms in January. It's the announcer that spring is coming. And the Lord said to him, you have seen well, for I am ready To perform my word. So the first thing God says to him, he's going to give him three pictures. The first one, like the almond tree. See how it's blossoming? My word is going to come to pass. It is going to happen. What I tell you, it's going to happen. You can take it to the bank. God's word will happen. And he's actually making a little play on words in the Hebrew, the the idea of God's word happening and the word for almond are very similar. Similar words in the Hebrew, it rhymes and is cool. In the English, it doesn't. But <clears throat> just so you have an understanding that that's what's going on here. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot and it's facing away from the north. So the second thing he sees is a boiling pot. Now, God is just using what Jeremiah sees, whatever, where he's hanging out. Jeremiah, what are you looking at right now? Oh, I'm just looking at the almond tree. Well, just like that almond tree is blossoming, my word's going to come to pass. Jeremiah, what else do you see? Well, there's a pot over here boiling, and it's, and it's facing away from the north. The idea is like that pot is is hung over the fire and like a wind is blowing from the north and opening turning the opening of that pot toward the south coming away from the north so this boiling pot looks like it's going to dump out on the fire you know and and so jeremiah says hey this is what i see this this boiling pot and so god uses that what jeremiah sees and then he says here's what you're looking at out of the north calamity will break forth on all the inhabitants of the land He's speaking of the nation of Babylon, which will attack Judah from the north, even though they're not on the north. That's the direction that they're going to conquer. For behold, 
I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. They will come. Each one will set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness, because they have forsaken me. They burned incense to other gods and worshipped the works of their hands. Not only have they worshipped the works of their hands in the form of they built the idols that they're worshipping, but they begin to worship that which they've accomplished in their life. The things that they've done. Like Nebuchadnezzar later on saying, look at the kingdom that I have built. And God saying, uh, you didn't build it, I, I did. I gave it to you. I'll prove it to you. I'll make you crazy for seven years. And at the end of that period of time, you'll still have your kingdom and you'll know. You didn't keep your kingdom for that seven years. I kept it for you. God's showing. That's the idea behind worshiping the works of their hands. So the Lord says, listen, there's going to be people. When the armies come against Judah and against Israel, they're going to often come from the north. And we have a succession of kingdoms that Daniel the prophet talked about, right? Daniel the prophet, beginning with which kingdom? You remember? Babylon, Medo-Persian, Grecian, or the Greeks, and the Romans. They're going to come conquer from the north, and they're going to set up their rule where? In the gates of Jerusalem. Hey, we, we got you guys. You belong to us. We are controlling you. <laughs> so here, Jeremiah... <clears throat> Even as that boiling pot is getting ready to dump out, God says, I'm going to pour out my judgment. And I'm going to pour it out from the north. Just like that wind is coming from the north and, and that pot is turning away from the north there, you're going to know that that's where the armies are going to come from. They're going to come down from the north. <clears throat> Therefore, Jeremiah, prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. What's he say to them again? Don't be dismayed by their faces. Don't be focused on the love of the people. Because, Jeremiah, you're never going to have it. There's a lot more popular prophets than Jeremiah because Jeremiah would tell the truth and the other guys would say what people want them to hear, what people want to hear. Just like today, there are churches that will be packed, filled, because they got a great feel-good message. There'll be other churches teaching the word bit by bit through the word. And people say, "Ah, you know, I was going there. It was kind of boring, always doing the Bible stuff. I want to go be entertained. I want to see, you know, things on the big screens and fancy lights and big bands and all this stuff. And the Lord told us that those days would come. Jeremiah, just like that, don't be afraid of their faces. Do what I've called you to do, Jeremiah. Here's the word. Judgment is coming. My word will be performed. It will happen. You need to go and don't be afraid of their faces. Lest I dismay you before them. Oh, that's new. Lest I dismay you before them. If Jeremiah was to turn his back on the Lord and go the way of the false prophets, he would be dismayed. Just like the Lord says that if we deny him, he'll 
deny us. Right? <clears throat> Same thing he's laying out for him, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar. So we have the example of the almond tree. We got the example of the boiling pot. Now he says, I, Jeremiah, have made you an iron pillar. This iron pillar is that, it's like a pillar that you would, not like a standing pillar, but that you would prop up against a wall to hold the wall up, something that would hold up the wall. He's saying, listen, I made you this day. You're a fortified city and an iron pillar. What's he saying? That God's strength is going to carry him through. I have equipped you. I have made you able. We're not able on our own. We're able because of what God has done for us. And that's what God's saying. Hey, I'm making you able. I'm equipping you. I'm going to make you strong. Don't you fail. Don't you be dismayed at their faces. I've given you what you need. You have to trust me. A fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. Now listen to this. Listen to his call. Anybody want to sign up for Jeremiah's call yet? They will fight against you, but they will not prevail, for I am with you. Says the Lord to deliver you. Jeremiah, it ain't going to be easy. And there are going to be times you're going to want to quit, give up, walk the other way. But I have made you like an iron pillar to hold up the wall. You just press into me and I'll help you get through. They, the kings, the princes, the priests, the prophets, everybody's going to want to destroy you. But I'm with you. You ever felt like everything was against you? Here God says, yeah, everything is against you, Jeremiah, but me. I am for you. I am going to be with you to deliver you, says the Lord. So as we begin the book of Jeremiah, we see this calling that God has upon him. The calling that the Lord has laid out for him that... Gosh, Jeremiah, your ministry is going to be a drag. Nobody's ever going to listen. Everybody's going to want to go to war against you. Everyone's going to want to rebel against every word you say. In fact, the nation is going to face unnecessary slaughter because they will ignore your word. And they're going to blame you for all their problems. Nevertheless... Don't be afraid of their faces. Don't be a man pleaser just because you, you're tired of bringing the, the voice of judgment or the voice of doom. That's why God touched his lips, right? My words are in your mouth. Don't be afraid. We never have to be afraid to share the word. I never want to be afraid of saying something that upsets somebody else as long as I'm saying something out of the word. If it's, I don't want it to be me. I don't want the word to taste like me or be the way I presented it. But if they're offended that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you must be born again to see the kingdom of God, then be offended. I'm not to be afraid of their faces. 
but to share the word that God's given us exactly as the Lord gave it. That's Jeremiah's job. And so he bears the name of what? The weeping prophet. Because his, his life is full of sorrow. But listen, it reminds me of someone else who's called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Right? That's Jesus Christ. So, Jeremiah in his ministry really becomes a, an example or a, shines a light on that same ministry of Jesus Christ as a man of sorrows. To a world that would reject the one hope that they had in him as he comes and as he presents himself as Messiah. So, we're going to see the same thing as we go through Jeremiah. So, this is going to be our, our challenge We're going to stay focused on Jeremiah by topic. I'm going to try to let you know, here's the kings we're dealing with, here's the time period we're dealing with, and then let's look at the prophecy. Because he's got some great prophecies that Jeremiah is going to talk about that we're going to want to get into. But just by way of introduction tonight, this is who Jeremiah is. The kid prophet that God called, put words in his mouth and said, "Don't don't you be afraid of people's faces. You share the truth of God's word from your heart. Amen? We're going to just uh, spend some time now, just pull away and, 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 and go before the Lord. I encourage you, hang out and pray with us. We're just going to seek God's face. I invite you, if you feel like praying, to, to call upon his name. If you don't, you want to just pray quietly, praise God, pray quietly. It, however the, the spirit of the Lord directs you, if you got a bail, God bless you. I'll see you guys on Wednesday. As, uh, as we continue to go through Deuteronomy and, and uh, we'll see what God's going to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time as we just seek your face. And we ask, Lord, that as we begin the book of Jeremiah, Lord, that we would learn the lesson from Jeremiah. Man, God, you use the things around Jeremiah as examples of, of how he could minister to people. You do that still with us today. Jesus, when you taught, you, you shared parables. Maybe you looked over in a field and there you saw a man sowing seed and you told us the parable of the sower. Work the same way in our lives today. God, give us eyes to see those illustrations around us that might illustrate greater truths from your word. Make us like Jeremiah, not afraid, but fill us with your power from on high to... Not be afraid of their faces and speak the truth that you're calling us to speak to your people. Father, may we realize it's you who chose us. It's you who have called us. And it's you who will equip us. You You didn't call us to cause us to fail. You called us that we might have victory. You called us to succeed. You called us to overcome. So, Father, enable us, Lord Jesus, to be your overcomers. And as we go about our our week this week, God, I pray you give us eyes to see and ears to hear when you are speaking to us and saying, don't be afraid of their faces. You share the word I put in your heart. Share the word I put on your lips that we might bring honor and glory to you.